Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And on today's show, we have John Dolan. Hi, John. Hey guys, (laughs) it's great to be here. We are so excited to talk about your fantastic career, but before we get into it, do you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners and kind of sharing how you got into photography? Well, uh, I'm one of these people who found photography early, and it's Mm -hmm. pretty much the only thing I've ever done since I was 15. Love that. So uh, I didn't realize how lucky I was until I got to college and saw people trying to figure out their major and things. But Mm. I was always a collector. So even as a kid, I was collecting baseball cards and coins and stamps and newspaper headlines and typefaces. And I mean, my room was basically a museum. Uh, (laughs) And I grew up outside of DC in the suburbs of Maryland. And I spent a lot of time going to the Smithsonian as a kid and just absorbing the stuff of life. And I realized later in life that photography really is about collecting moments, collecting collecting time in yeah. two dimensions. And uh, so it's it's pretty much just been the same thing. But to find it early meant that I got uh, I got a lot of the technical stuff deep inside me, you yeah. know, even by the time I was 25, I was uh, photography, was, film photography was very deep inside me, very fluid. Mm. So it helps. I moved to New York when I was 23, 24, and I spent the next six years. Uh, I was a terrible assistant, but I was a good printer. So I <laughs> ended up in, in dark rooms for uh, a long time. And I think I learned about photographs from the inside, from seeing them as negatives, okay. so from translating them from oh, a 35 yeah. millimeter negative into a 16 by 20 print. You get to know a, a photograph in a whole different way. Wow, that's, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that. Well, I mean, I, I keep wondering now, is anyone ever going to spend that uh-huh. many hours a day in a dark room uh, yeah. the way I did? So, it was a it was a strange apprenticeship, but it was a long apprenticeship too. I didn't really start uh, making money, real money, till I was thirty. So, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't start shooting jobs till I was thirty. So I was printing for a photographer named Sylvia Plahi, who's kind of a, a photographer's photographer, oh, a, a legend. legend. Yeah, 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 love her work. And she's now she became more famous when her son Adrian Brody won the yep. Oscar. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, I was her printer for four years uh, in the late no 80s. Way. And, wow. Uh, Adrian was a, you know, a 14-year-old kid and he was in the house in Queens. And part of my job was to take him after school and go out and play football with him and wrestle with no him. No way. And, yeah. Wow. So, wow. you know, it's funny. It goes back to the, there was kind of an old school way of working in New York, which was you aligned with one photographer and you became there mm. uh, sort of an apprentice, but uh, unofficial. You were aligned with that one person. And I was definitely lucky to, to find Sylvia and because she's so well respected and and uh, revered, really. Man, again, I have to say it. This is why I love doing this podcast so much. Because <laughs> I I had no idea that that was yeah. a part of your story until right now. Right. And that was one of the first photo books. Her she did like a I guess it's kind of like a bunch of her work throughout the years. And there's a Tom Waits album that comes with it. One of the first photo books I ever bought you know, getting into this whole thing. And it's that's like one of those books I hold dear to my heart. Wow. And to hear you say that is just legendary. I love it. That was my final project was printing that book. No way. Wow. So, <laughs> I got goosebumps right now. Goosebumps. <laughs> this is amazing. It really it really was an incredible 
um, it was an incredible kind of culmination of all my years there. And it was her first book and it was called Unguided Tour. Yes. And it was, oh. that was kind of her weekly column for the Village Voice. And okay. so every week she'd go out and she'd drive around New York, shoot assignments. And um, these were kind of the pictures she collected along the way and on the way home and uh, shoot pictures while she's driving across the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm. And, wow. Uh, but yeah, it was to live inside her house every day. I'd take an hour subway out to Queens, go up into her attic. And I was in a, I mean, really like a closet, dark room. And with a curtain, and she'd be on the other side of the curtain, and we would just talk all day. And, you know, I'd see, sort of hear her stories. And it was really an extraordinary, extraordinary way to to learn what the life of a photographer is like and how you have a family and how you, you know, navigate a career. So, yeah, that's amazing that that was a book that it was yeah. important to you. Wild. Oh, man. That's, that's, I'm just I'm speechless right now with that. <laughs> it's it's just like one of my all-time favorites. And to just hear you had your hands in that is is just so, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it really was a kind of uh, jumping off point for me because uh, she had a big show after that book came out. And my final project was to print... I don't know, 216 by 20s of the book for a few different shows. And one of the museums paid me directly for it. And that was kind of the seed money for my business. Um, So, Uh. you know, that's when I I left her. And I mean, it's also funny from a kind of darkroom printer's standpoint. When I started with her, there was a stack of contact sheets that she wanted me to make work prints of. Back in the old days, you make five by seven prints. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was maybe four inches tall, full of, I don't know, 300 contact sheets with circled things. And I looked at the box when I left after four years of printing every day. And the box wow. was about the same <laughs> depth. <laughs> <laughs> Still things, because she photographed so much and she, you know, wow. in the old days, you had to take it from the contact sheet and make a print to really make it come to life. So, right. um, yeah, she has an incredible archive. Man, I bet. Man, so what what was the next step then? You yeah. finished this you finished this show and you're you're ready to start your own journey. How how did that all start? Well, it was uh the lower east side in the 90s, early 90s and the good thing was that rent was cheap, so my apartment was $500 <laughs> a month. Uh, oh, and nice. I had a dark room wow. in my kitchen and the bad thing was that I was uh, fairly shy, and and um, my work was not was not. I didn't know how to light. I didn't know how to you know the pictures were not super glamorous. So I would take my portfolio around to the magazines, and uh, the response was not overwhelming. It was mm. <laughs> you know you mm. drop it off on Tuesday, pick it up on Thursday, and maybe there'd be a little note in there. But um, it was certainly you know, six months or so of just kind of nothingness and, you know, calling people and not getting any response. So, it took me a while to make that transition, but a friend of Sylvia's asked me to shoot a wedding and that was, uh, I'd shot a few friends' weddings, but so I shot one wedding for that art director and that, uh, those pictures had a spark to them, which was quite mm. unique. And I started showing that when I'd go to magazines. But in the early 90s, to do weddings was the lowest form of photography. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, most people looked down upon those pictures. And then every once in a while, somebody, there was one photo editor at Condé Nast Traveler who saw them and, you know, she said, you're, you know, I like your book. I don't have anything for you. And then she sort of whispered like, but I have a wedding. I'm getting married next summer. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, man. you know, as soon as I got that one person, that led to, uh, then the word of mouth started going like yep. crazy. And yep. it was mostly art directors, photo editors, writers, um, magazine people. And it was, it was basically people who didn't want a wedding photographer. They wanted a photographer at the wedding. Yeah. So uh-huh. it was kind of a, a mind shift and um, it opened up this whole different relationship with these people. So I was, uh, I was almost, I always felt like I was let in the back door after that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, did that like then lead you in the door? 
because then they see you in a different, you know. Well, I, if I had shot your wedding, Chris, we would. I would know your family. I would know your mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. uncle. I would know. You know you, <laughs> yep. You'd see the house you grew up in. Um, so it did lead to incredible, really great creative relationships and great friendships. And you know, I it, it, yeah, it was a a whole different way. Because there's the basis of a good relationship is trust, and the basis of good uh, when I shoot a wedding is would people trust me to right. tell the truth and make something extraordinary? So, uh, mm. and also these people had great taste, so they didn't want <laughs> the cheesy that pictures. Helps. They wanted, yeah. yeah. And you can totally see that in your work too. Like yeah. there's, there's definitely like a documentarian's eye going on at these weddings that I, I just, I love that stuff. I live for that kind of photography and then to take it into like the wedding world. I mean, come on, dream, dreams, <laughs> dreams are made right there. <laughs> well, it, it, it was a funny time because most fashion photographers wouldn't touch a wedding. Most serious journalists wouldn't mm. go near a wedding. Uh, yeah, it right. really was this kind of corner of the industry that was disregarded and disrespected, and I thought it was hilarious. I I had no problem keeping it to myself, and uh, there was a group <laughs> of maybe ten of us in New York in the mid '90s, and you know we were uh, we embraced it fully. And then I was at an agent's office in '94, '95. And she saw my wedding work and she said, Martha Stewart's about to start a wedding magazine. And she's like, she's like, my sister works there. You got to run up and show your work. And that was really this kind of breaking point where I walked in, showed work, and they said that beautiful thing, like, can we keep your book for a while? No. Uh, And they ended up putting 20 pictures in the first issue. So, because I had the archive, you know, there just weren't many people who were are fascinated by weddings in the same way. So true. that really opened the floodgates and uh, it's kind of been fun since ever since then. I guess it's very different from now. There's a whole industry for weddings mm. stuff. I mean, there's magazines left and right. There's blogs, there's creators, there's Instagrammers. It wasn't like that back then, huh? No, it, uh, it's it's really like watching something being born and mm. um, what's, what's that from 95 now? It's just... An explosive industry, and and there's you know I think it's kind of a golden age now because there's there's just an explosion of talent. But I also worry that the photographers who are shooting now don't get that sort of diverse career that I was able to get because oh, yeah. back in the '90s I had magazine work. I shot a lot for Real Simple and Self and different Martha Stewart magazines, and I also shot ad work and lifestyle and fashion and. So weddings were always kind of one third of my business, but the mix thing I think is really tough now because there's there's not that much magazine work. Yeah, yeah isn't that crazy? It's mm. yeah. true. Do you now with shooting the weddings and being able to use those in magazines and stuff? How does that all work? Do you have to get releases signed or what? Like, how do you share such a personal thing? You know, I I, I never work on releases. I never work on paperwork, but I work on trust and I never would mm. publish something that somebody didn't want published. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of times I feel people are very worried before the wedding and then afterward they're more than happy to share the pictures. So I just ask people, you know, say, yeah, some magazine's interested in this. It's up to you. I don't mind either way. But I think working off that kind of trust, mutual beneficial approach is it's really good because you're right. It's an incredibly personal thing and what we see and what people tell you and the intimacy of the whole <laughs> yeah. thing is extraordinary. But you know, the last thing you'd ever want to do is betray somebody's trust. I mean, right. that's the worst. Mm. Yeah, I was just curious because, you know, I've dabbled in a couple weddings and stuff like that, shooting them, and I, I never really thought of sharing. I mean, it, maybe if I was trying to make a career out of it, yeah. it would be a little different, but yeah. I was just curious. Yeah, I certainly have plenty of clients whose work will never be seen, and I love that. I love the uh, the people who they may be public figures, but they don't want they need this one corner of their life to be private. And I fully yeah, right. support that. I think that's magnificent. Um, I wanted to. It was like a perfect segue to client clients you have. You recently shot the you know wedding at the White House. <laughs> Yes, that was a I, a peak a peak moment. Yeah, Man, how was I that? Bet. You know the 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 beautiful thing about it was that the wedding planner Brian Raffanelli, who I've known for years, 
he orchestrated it in such a way that there were two teams. There, I was one team and Corbin Gherkin was the other team. And so we divided up the work. I had a lot of freedom to do to work the way I work, which is by myself, quite small and um, nimble. And I've had this realization that some photographers are directors and some photographers are collectors. Yeah. And I'm a moment collector. I'm terrible at telling people what to do, but I'm good at finding these slivers of truth and these tiny moments of great meaning without interjecting myself. So it was a great kind of two-pronged approach. And uh, and also because I'm from, you know, DC has always been big in my heart to oh, go yeah. back there for, for this wedding was just really extraordinary. I didn't even think of it like that. I, <laughs> taking it back to my, my mini two weddings that I ever did in my life, <laughs> like having to pose people is just so terrifying to me. I'm just like, now look, ew, I don't, okay, just do, you know, it's just so funny. And just to shoot. And I mean, I guess just by people knowing your work that you can just go in and shoot like that. Do you ever have to be like a poser or anything like that? Or do you just get to kind of go in there and do what you do? You know, it's a, it's an interesting question because it is, there's times where you have to be very visible. You have to gather mm. people together. And then there's times you have to be invisible. Um, yeah. I found that most people have one person in their wedding party who's really bossy and I make an ally yeah, of that yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. uh-huh. Who's your brother? Who's your cousin? Who's got the loud voice? Who can, and just, who can yeah. wrangle all these people exactly. who are already drinking, yep. started drinking. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny that you, you, you say that because at, at my brother's wedding, his photographer had that same kind of photo, like fly in the wall photo journalistic type of approach. And he had prefaced that before. He was like, this is my style. This is kind of what I do. And me, I'm the former wedding photographer. When it came time to formals, I'm like his guy. I was the one who was like, okay, like Bartolucci's over here, like Fagan's this way. Like, and I was like, this guy's, I mean, I, I was like, I don't know what he's getting. I was like, I don't know. And did he get it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and then some. It was, it was gorgeous work, like oh, incredible. But I was just like, it's interesting. You know? Yeah, I mean, my my philosophy is that every photographer has their strength and their way of working, mm-hmm. and you lean into that. But I know that the less hard I try, the better the pictures are. Mm. And if I'm yeah. if I'm trying to force it, it just goes downhill. If I'm trying to boss people around, you know, it's it's I just see the people as they are and get the photograph before they get all you know lined up and and right, formal. Right. Right. But then if it's a if it's a particular kind of I, I mean you just have to read read the people and see what their natural way is. But I, I'm really trying to press this message that uh, find out what kind of photographer you are and then follow that path. And it's possible and you'll find I mean, it's really because I I try to limit myself to ten to twelve weddings a year. I'm able to find people who want this approach and, right. you know, there's sort of a natural selection. You attract the people who you want to attract. How much film do you still shoot at weddings? What's the percentage? You know, uh, I'll, st- I'll shoot 50 rolls of film in a two-day wedding. Um, but I shoot, I shoot a little, I, I shoot more digital with the Leica, mm-hmm. but a lot of times the Digital is kind of sketching, and then if I feel it, I'll switch to film. Oh, okay. Or it's 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 a, it's an interesting tool, and I I've turned my viewfinder to black and white. So while I'm shooting, you know everything looks so good in black and white. And, yeah. Um, so the camera can really be an interesting kind of viewfinder, and uh, you you find light in an interesting way that way, and then I'll I'll shoot with film. But I'm, I'm super efficient with my film, and yeah. I'm also really fast at loading film. So it's Ooh. it's quite fluid. I shot a wedding three weeks ago where I was like, okay, I bought like a pro pack of portrait. I was like, I'm gonna get through the whole box. Like I'm gonna shoot <laughs> all five rolls. I've got some black and white, one twenty. I'm gonna do it, and I got through one roll through my Hasselblad, which I was happy oh. about. And then I got through, I think like two and a half rolls total of a. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> regular the other 35 and man i was like i don't know how because i never shot weddings on film so i i'm used to digital so it's like right. i have to mentally just get I don't in know, that headspace yes yeah, yeah. It's, 
and I haven't shot a wedding in a while and they were friends. I'm like, I don't want like what, you know, they knew that I'm like a film person. So when I brought out the Hasselblad, you know, and the Hasselblad such a like, oh, look at that. Like yeah, everybody's everyone like, knows that camera. So like, everybody's yeah. like cool with that. But, you know, to, sh- to shoot the ceremony with the, you know, I did, I did the best I could. But to hear you say like, you know, you shot this many roles and you're, you know, like someday, someday. <laughs> well, I, I, but I, I understand that, that it's, uh, I, I had the same trouble. I really had the same trouble getting into digital and making digital mm. flow because I was such a film native that it's just second nature sense. to me. I, I think one of the great things that happened to me was that I shot a bunch of catalog work, fashion catalog for the Sundance catalog. And we were shooting, I don't know, 180 rolls of film in a week or something like that. Wow. But yeah. we played a game where I would guess, my assistant would hold the meter up and he wouldn't tell me what it is, but I'd guess what the reading was. And if it was within a stop, I got a dollar. And if I was outside the stop, he got a dollar. And we made <laughs> this game out of it. And it it trained me to realize that you can see what the light is if you're mm-hmm. sensitive to it. And it's usually not that different. You know, like you can just tell what the light is. So I don't, I don't meet her when I shoot film. I wow. have a kind of internal sense of it. And the latitude of film is so broad and so forgiving on the overexposed side. So it's, you know, uh, but then of course, when I switched digital, it's the opposite, and that just threw right. me off. I was overexposing everything, and it was useless. Yeah. So it's all learning. Man, yeah. the overexposed digital is like <laughs> bad. Yeah, idea. you lose you lose all it's, the info. You lose everything. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah, man, that's such a fun game to play. I used to when I was shooting street every single day. I could do that. I could walk out and be like. F eight at two fifty, and I right. and it and I would look at the meter and be like, "Yep, F eight at two fifty. Man, it's just fun when you get in that groove of mm-hmm. like knowing light. I mean, I could still probably do it, but it's yeah. it's not going to be as as close as it used to be. I, I think we didn't make a game out of it. Like going out yeah, with my yeah. friends. We think that the light is always changing, but it's not. It's basically, yeah. you know, a cloudy uh-huh. day in New York is a cloudy day in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I've I've been shooting a um, uh, Diana camera, and that's like really kind of making me think about like, okay, there's two settings, cloudy yeah. and sunny. Like, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, like, all right, here we go. Just remember that when you're shooting my Leica, just it's cloudy or sunny. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Sunny 16. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so you just released a, well, I guess probably about a year ago, right? You released your f- whole book on your wedding photography. Congratulations. I did. It was really. Um, it was something I'd been working on for years and years, kind of mm. in between jobs and in between wedding seasons and things. But I just had this strong feeling that I needed to stake my ground as one of the early guys and and just also make this statement that wedding pictures don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be posed. They don't have to be controlled. And that there's beautiful things to be taken away from a wedding besides the pretty and the perfect. So it was really to make a an art book that happened to be about weddings, but I wanted each picture to stand on its own as a beautiful photograph and and it really was trying to introduce this idea that weddings are not just the sort of stepchild of the photo industry mm-hmm. and the, it, you know they're always easily dismissed as kind of cliché and sugar sweet, but I I tell you that the things that I have seen the the human intricacies and complexities and touching moments and melancholy yeah. and bittersweet and mm. all these flavors that don't get really uh, shown in those wedding magazines as much. And I basically just wanted to put that out to the world that it's a multifaceted area of, of discovery and uh, and I think it's been overlooked. So, And the book's gotten a really great response. It's pretty much almost sold out, and uh, but maybe we'll do an expanded edition with some of the new weddings. Oh, Never know. That's, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Books are fun. It's always fun, like picking the photos and, mm-hmm. and you know, telling the story with that. Oh, you got some really beautiful pictures in there too. I was, we were talking before we hopped on and, and just, there's, there's this one shot where it's just, I think it's like a young boy in the family kind of just sitting there looking at the camera. And it just reminded me so much of just, you know, like street photography or documentary photography. Yeah. It just really speaks my my language, my love language is street photography. <laughs> so you want to get to my heart, you know, do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do almost see it as a sport that yes. for a picture to really live in in my heart, it had to have been taken 
I had to have taken some risk to make that picture. There's a lot of easy moments at weddings, but the pictures that made it into the book are ones that were usually single frames. It only existed for that one brief second, mm. and I didn't orchestrate it. It was uh, something I unveiled from wow. the live event. And so I, you know, I do kind of see my wedding work as I'm a live performer. I either get it or I don't. Right. But I've I've learned that if I take risks, the rewards are great. If I play it safe, it's kind of, you know, it's like going to the factory making yep. widgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. so the, it's like the street photography mentality, but there's a blend of kind of fashion and sensuality and uh, family doc- family documentary and narrative and storytelling. And there's a lot of elements. I mean, I, I'd never use the term photojournalist because I was a terrible journalist. I would miss the main story <laughs> and, and, you know, get distracted by the uh, something over here or uh-huh. um, much, I, I, I've always felt much closer to short story writers because oh, it's not good. a yeah. specific factual thing. I don't think my pictures are factual, but they've got a, some question to them, some narrative. So, man, that's a great way to put that. Like a short story, I could, I, I can relate to that. Yeah, I have great admiration for writers. I don't know how they. Oh, me too. I <laughs> wish, I wish I could write. Me too. Ugh. Especially now that I have my own kiddo, I like, you know, was like, I'm gonna journal. I'm gonna journal. <laughs> In a journal, no, <laughs> I've been journaled once. Yeah, find some time for that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I wish I did. I mean, I wish yeah, I did like yeah. years and years ago, you know, like stuff starting to fade away. <laughs> One thing I did, Chris, over the years, because I was traveling a lot when my kids were little, is uh, I had a running letter to, to my first child, my daughter. Mm. Um, and whenever I'd go on a flight, I would basically write to her, write a paragraph saying, this is what you're doing this week. This is these are the words oh, you wow. said, and you know I wouldn't do a lot, but I do a couple paragraphs, and I gave it to her when she was 16, and it was you know wow. pretty cool to to have that stuff. But it's you're right, it's so hard to remember everything, but doing little bits uh, in one one long scroll is kind of one solution. I like that. Yeah, because they, you know, especially in the first year they're changing so much. Yeah. It's like it's crazy. And like it it goes by so fast and and like, you know, the day he was born, I keep tell I tell my husband like tell me tell me the story when he was born. Tell me from your <laughs> like tell me cuz yes. I'm it's like, you know, there's blank spots already like <laughs> you know, I'm like when the nurses came in, what happened after that? And he's like, I don't know. I don't really know either. And I'm like, oh no, we should have videotaped it or, or videotaped it. We should have yeah. recorded it on our phone. <laughs> well, we're so but. used to having all information all the mm-hmm. time now. You know, we're used to having yeah. surveillance cameras. And if you need the data, you can re- retrieve it. But yeah, I think, you know, in, in the analog world, things things dissolve and disappear and right. yeah, fall away. Yeah. And You should, um, do you ever thought about like intertwining some of those photos with some of those words to make, I mean, not even to put out, but just like for you guys to have, like, that would be cool. I feel like the photos and the words would lend themselves to very, yeah, something a, very special. Yeah. I, you know, I had to write, basically I had to write like three page uh, introduction for my book or an essay for my book. Mm. It took me weeks <laughs> to yeah. lock myself yeah. in a cottage of friends gave me. Right. And, you know, there's a reason I photograph because mm-hmm. <laughs> writing is yeah. hard, but it's, but it was, I was glad once I, once I finished, um, I was glad what I got out, but, um, or what I got onto the page, but, uh, yeah, one day. And you have, <laughs> you have sections on your website for your kids, right? Like is Olivia? There's just Olivia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but I was, but I was thinking about like the, that when you look at those and the, and they're, they're timeless. So I, you can't tell at first I had to be like, Oh, I see what this is. It was like her growing up, but I was like, wait, is that her daughter? Who's Olivia? I was like, is Olivia the baby or is Olivia the adult? Yeah. I was so confused. And then I was like, wow. And it's not chronological. That's really cool. So we, yeah, we, yeah, play, yeah. We, we play with time a little bit. But yeah, I have two yeah. so, two sons, but they, uh, I, I could have a section of the website with my middle son where he just gave me the middle finger for years. <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> no, do not try yeah. to make stock pictures of me. <laughs> <laughs> the rebel spirit. Yeah, that would sell though. But, you know, we, 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 people would buy stuff like that. Man, you know, 
Yeah. Man, so, so speaking of that stuff, I mean, with all the wedding work and, and, you know, commercial work and stuff that you do, do you find time? Are you still shooting like on your off time? Like, do you do personal stuff? Is, is the family your personal work? Like mm. what, what kind of drives you outside of the paying gig? You know, um, for the past 15 years, mostly the past 10 years, I do more nonprofit work up here in the country oh, where sweet. we live. Oh, wow. And that's been just an incredible way to get to know where we live. And mm. I sort of go out 10 days a year and each day we'll shoot eight to 10 organizations and sort of bounce around the counties. And that's been fascinating and it's low risk. And I think if I make beautiful pictures for this foundation, then the funding comes gets better. And uh, But yeah. it's... It's it's low pressure and and high reward. You know, I've never been a project based person. Some photographers have that, you know, five year project on mm-hmm. some island somewhere in the South Pacific. I'm very reactive, and you know, the phone rings, a email comes in, there's a job. I, I'm good at making that happen, but I'm not. Uh, I've never worked on that straight line thing. That uh, I admire those photographers, but I think my skill is coming in without preparation and making something happen based on the experience and telling that story, squeezing the essence of that experience. I love that. Yeah. I also want to ask you, do you spend any time in the darkroom anymore? You know, has my wife been speaking to you? Because she wants me to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. You don't have to convince her, like, I'm going to take this closet over and bang out this wall. (laughs) Yeah, she wants to – we're doing a renovation this spring, I hope, and there's a – she basically sketched out this place underneath a stairwell or a stairway that fits this – because I have all the equipment from the old days. I have this six-foot-long sink and all the trays and uh, Omega D2, and Mm. so I think – we'll see – Ask me in six months. Will mm. do. <laughs> that sounds like you, Chris. The old, the old dark room under the stairs. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. was my first ever dark room was under the stairs at my parents' house. Although How dark room is, used, <laughs> it was loosely used. I mean, that word. It was you know a, a card table with like three trays and you yeah. know no running water. I had to run upstairs before I like <laughs> passed out from the fumes and <laughs> rinse them in the kitchen sink. But I made it work. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think I think that's it's an interesting thought of what it would be like to get back into the dark room, and uh, I think I I'm sure I can remember how, but it's it's mm-hmm. such a different pace of work, and uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited to do it. Man, I miss it. That's that's a, like a goal either for this year or next year for me as well. Because again, I have the trays, I have the enlargers, yeah. I have all the stuff. It's it's sitting in the attic right now, and I felt bad because I rescued all that stuff from an attic and or a basement or right. you know right I went yeah I went I went around like to find this stuff and time just goes by so fast. You know, living yeah. life is 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 no easy uh, journey. Then then to fit like something that you love and like you know making prints or building your darkroom back up. I used to love that. You know, I, I was really into it a couple of years. Well, I mean, it's probably like seven, eight years ago. I was printing in my tiny little mm-hmm. bathroom, you know, with a mm-hmm. baby little Bessler and larger that I got off of Craigslist for like $15 or something like that. And it was just those little things of seeing the paper in the developer when you start mm-hmm. to see the image come through and it's like, yeah, it might yeah. not be exposed properly or whatever, but it is magic. I mean, it yeah. is literal magic. There's nothing like that. And I, I want to get there again. It's It's been enough time where I'm ready to start smelling like stinky chemicals and, and figuring it out. <laughs> Did you all ever do a wet plate to the tin types i wish that's that's another bucket list thing for me too yeah yeah because i learned uh, a couple of years ago my buddy carrie norton who's down in uh birmingham came up and taught me wet oh. plate and um he's also a beekeeper so he taught my wife or showed my wife uh, how to fix the bees and uh, Man, great cool. combo it was a really yeah. good <laughs> yeah but <laughs> That was truly an extraordinary uh, weekend because tintype is just so fragile and then so permanent. You know, if you mm. get it right, it's just there forever. And uh, but boy, it's complicated. And I bet, yeah, the ether. One of the chemicals you use is ether. <laughs> so if you get it wrong, you just pass. Oh, out. I know. Uh-huh. I know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yikes. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd definitely be taking the Sally Man approach about the whole wet plate stuff. I just love her like she doesn't care if there's imperfections yeah. and all that right, stuff in right. there. Like I, I would be that way. I'd be like, come on, bring it on. Let's get some bugs stuck on this thing. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that's fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have like a million things to say. I, I like I just love your work, John, especially like we kind of brushed on the family stuff, like your family work. But I was telling Timothy again before we, we hopped on that, like, I, I hope to like one day look back at my family work and it like kind of look like yours. So mm. wow. I just wanted to tell you that, like, just like that, you, you know, a lot of my stuff, I mean, I, I, I do shoot a lot of the times with a point and shoot. So it is very like it is very, very, you know, like point and shoot type style it looks kind of like that but i just love that yours i don't know it's like well it's 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 i must say it's been an interesting challenge to take family photography in the same way with weddings or try to reinvent the genre because mm. when a genre gets tired and stale and predictable it needs to be reinvented and i thought family photography was so kind of saccharine and predictable uh-huh. and when my kids were little i didn't shoot a lot, but I shot at uh, really special moments or really non-special moments, really simple moments. But I would shoot just one or two frames. And because I've always been quick and sort of ready, and uh, there's never a lot of setup time. So at that, you know, it's dawn and your kid is there, and it's just incredible light. Mm, you know, yeah. One or two pictures was always enough. Um, we were also lucky enough that my wife's from Ireland. So we'd spent summers in Ireland. Oh. And there's oh, yeah. something about that, that the pictures just have this resonance. And it's almost like the the childhood that these kids had was this mythical thing that running in the grass and a bunch of cousins all together. And, yeah. you know, it was, the pictures make it look this incredible thing. It was really fun. It was, it was also total chaos. And yeah, there yeah. were like eight kids under eight and uh, <laughs> wow. a lot of food and a lot of laundry and stuff. But but the photographs captured this kind of freedom, and uh, but I th- I think it's about just knowing when to take the picture and not overworking it too much and arranging it too much. That was at least my yeah, approach. That, yeah, I could see that. Where Chris, I feel like you put a lot of pressure on yourself to capture these oh, things too. So I, do. I mean, I, I think do too much, too much pressure. Just gotta and let it I, happen. And then the other pressure is is like it shouldn't be on my phone. It should be with the film camera. Mm, right. You know. Right. Which is like, who cares? I'm not going to care when I'm when he's about to get married. And I'm like, man, these these look like, you know, I'm not going to care. Like, I'm just gonna be happy yep. that I have them, you yeah. know. But it, you're right, Chris. It is it is hard, though, playing both roles at the same time. And I, I mm-hmm. certainly remember being conflicted. Am I dad or am I photographer? Am I right. parenting oh, or am I shooting? Yeah. And the sort of split things, I think. My wife was incredibly patient with me knowing she could sort of see the look in my eye when the light was really amazing. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not parenting right now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, I think my husband knows that look well, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get out of her fun. way. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good. That's great advice. No, thank you. I like that. I, I also wanted to, to just kind of get an idea of, you know, since the whole pandemic and work slowing down, has things kind of, are they getting back to normal for, for working photographers like you? Or are, is there still kind of a little bit of that hangover left? You know, I think um, I feel lucky to be, uh, I don't know what the term is, an experienced photographer not starting mm. out right now because... I've had really great loyal clients and I saw it back in 08, 09 during the financial crisis, which was mm. pretty, in a lot of ways, more substantial hit to the to my industry uh, or my niche. I do some ad work for financial firms and uh, corporate stuff and you know that stuff just all disappeared uh, mm. in the financial crisis. But I was able to keep going on some of this work during the pandemic and uh, coming out of it and because I had that small number of weddings, a lot of the weddings just got smaller and more beautiful, more intimate and really oh, meaningful yeah. and kind of incredible, like unforgettable experiences when people really took the idea of celebrating and being together seriously. And Wow. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah these 50-person weddings became just it was just the core people and the speeches got better. There were no mm-hmm. sort of second string groomsmen giving speeches. It was all just <laughs> a game. And uh, so I, I definitely feel fortunate. And we live kind of in the middle of nowhere up 
two and a half hours north of New York. And um, so I've been able to do other things up here. And I mean, the one thing I've learned from all the recessions I've seen and ups and downs of the being freelance is trying to stay lean and stay uh, diversified, have multiple different types of clients. And uh, so, you know, when ad work would go down, something else would come up. And right. so it's not easy being freelance for 30 years, but it's, I, I've never worked in an office, so I don't have anything to compare it to, but yeah, uh, I feel, I definitely feel fortunate. That's great. That's great yeah. to hear that. I always worry because I, you know, I have so many artistic friends and stuff like that. And it's just, I just always, it almost keeps me up at night worrying about everyone that I care about, making sure that they're, you know, they're okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's good to hear that things are still doing all right. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Like the people yeah, who need yeah. that to know what their income will be in two years. That's not freelance. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, uh, Definitely not. Yeah. We'll be right back with a listener question for John right after this message from our sponsor. Just wanted to pop in here quick and let you guys know about our Patreon-only developing hang nights. Now, we've done a bunch of these already. They're a ton of fun. We develop some film. We talk shop. We hang out. We laugh. It's a great time. We also try to get a former guest for these. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. All right, guys, this is a part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from Jeff's Koss Photo. And she wanted to know, did you ever feel the need to change your photography style as trends changed? It's a good question. It's so good. Great question. It's so good. And it's um, I, it's just not possible for me. I, I, I'm mm. s- I, I've... I mean, I even saw it when I was editing for my book that if you look mm. in the back and you look at the dates, there's almost an even number from every decade. There's there's oh, um, wow. pictures sprinkled throughout, which meant to me that some of my older pictures held up. And I just think as soon as you start chasing the trends, you've lost. But that's Ooh. easy yeah. for me to say on this end. But I would say another way of looking at it is – kind of the beginning of every year I would experiment or every summer in Ireland I'd experiment and try to shake myself up to keep myself fresh. So, you know, some years there's more light involved. Some years it's more ambient light. I mess with that trend, but I wouldn't see it as a trend, but just just to keep it from getting stale and keep it from getting too comfortable. I think a lot yeah. of the way I work is that I have to feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit off balance to really um, make something new. So it's a it's a counterintuitive thing, but if you get too cozy with how you're working, you might want to shake it up. Agree. I also like the idea of like staying true to yourself, though. Too, you know. That's well, that's like yeah, that's absolutely that's the bottom line. That if I was, I it's just it's. I have such respect for certain photographers who have their own style that if I was to imitate them, I would just lose respect for myself. It's, you know, you have to, it's a constant game to find what's your core, which pictures are really your own authorship. But I think that's kind of the fun of it all is, you know, this one feels (laughs) more like me than this one. Right. Right. Great answer. Yeah. And I'll never forget just one last thing. My dad, uh, my dad kind of taught me drumming. He's a, he's a musician and he would teach me drumming when I was little. And I remember him always saying like, once you feel like you're the best you can be at what you're doing, you've, you're lo- you lost, like right. you're not going right. to progress any further. And I always think that in my mind, which is kind of like a little mantra that I say to myself occasionally. And it just kind of feels like what you're saying is like, you know, once you, or you're trying to chase it or something like that, it's, it's just going to be kind of unattainable. Well, that's that's really great advice, but it's also none of these things is like um, the way normal business in our society works. Mm-hmm. You know, the core to my business is not growth; it's staying pure oh, and small. And yeah. you know, I'm not. I always compare myself. I'm not like a Chipotle or a Gap or something right. where I want to grow right. and increase my sales and increase, increase, increase. It's really closer to maybe small batch whiskey or a small yeah. taco truck that just makes the best tacos. Um, so I, it's it, that's really not taught in the business world how to stay small and pure. But um, you're right, Chris. If you stay true, 
and you stay where your style is your style, then it's not, it just flows out of you naturally. People find you, they recognize, find you for your recognizable style. It's, you know, maybe it's like being a bass player who's got that particular way where you can hear Jaco Pastorius or somebody, you know, and you know, that's their, that person, they're not trying to be anybody else. So it's, I mean, I do find it really valuable to look at other artists and uh, writers or musicians who've kept a pure career, pure style for 30, 40 years. And maybe they're not the most commercial, maybe they're not making the most money, but they look back and they've had this really admirable run of it. And, uh, you know, so... I always encourage people find your kind of your heroes or people you, it's basically like your admiration list and focus on them and what makes somebody sustainable creatively. Mm, yes, yes, okay. yes. Good. We advice. all have our heroes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's so true too. Cause just like you said, Jocko, or, you know, you, you can tell a guitar player by the way they play, you know, that's, that's Eddie Van Halen or that's, you know, that's right. John Bonham on the drums or that's, you know, it's just when, when someone's like, oh, that's like a Timothy, you know, Ditzler photo or a Chris B yeah. photo, you know, it's just it, it, to hit that is like the ultimate. That's yeah. right. Mm, yeah. Wow. My son, rec- he, my, one of my sons was telling me about the, ba- the uh, guitarist from Wilco Mm. Um, whose name I forget, but there's, there's something where, uh, what's his name? But anyway, it'll come to me, but <laughs> just how he's a guitarist, guitarist. He's like that pure, so deep in the in the art of it and not doing it for the fame or the money or the yes. whatever, but the purity right. of it. Nels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> such a good, so good. Uh, yeah, such a good answer. Great question, too. Thanks, Jess. All right. So these are the fun two-part questions of the podcast. Uh, the first part of said question is the Desert Island camera. So you can only choose, you know, one camera for the rest of your life. You're stuck on this island. Uh, what's it going <laughs> to be and why? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's so tough. The island has a repair shop, batteries. <laughs> yeah, there's film no there. You know, it's a magic island. Yeah, it's, so. it's the best island I ever. I love this island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might live there soon. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the, the Roloflex has been my main camera for years and years. Um, but there's a special feeling I get whenever I'm able to use this uh, eight, uh, this 8x10 camera that I bought from mm. a friend probably 30 years ago. Um, I think it's from 1910 or 1920. It's the Kodak wow. number two. Whoa. It's just, it's got the most beautiful bellows. It's it's such a treat. And I've been bringing it to weddings when I'm driving, uh, where I just throw it in the back of the truck. I'm not going to bring it on a plane, but yeah. Yeah. And the joy of bringing that out at a wedding. And like you say, Chris, when you bring out a Hasselblad, like it's, yeah, it just gives people this feeling like, oh, you're doing something really magnificent with I that. I can't imagine what the response is. I bet they go bonkers. I bet <laughs> they just go, crazy. Yeah. But you know, maybe I have eight sheets of film that's, uh, and so it's, using it in yeah, that kind of it. finite way. But I, I have a feeling on this island, I'll have more film in the fridge. Yes, oh, there's, <laughs> they have some crazy stuff hidden in the freezer on that island. So you're, <laughs> you're good. You're good. I think, is that, is that like our first eight by 10 answer? No, you're the one who would remember everybody's answers are this. <laughs> it, it, well, maybe not, but maybe Matt, I love it. I got to go back and oh, yeah, see yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. he's a, he's yeah, a big, large Matt, format probably. guy. But yeah, so so part two is a is another fun one, and you've had a long career, so you might have already tested every camera. We're not one hundred percent sure. <laughs> but the the second question is the white whale. Is there a camera that you know you've always wanted and you just never had the chance to shoot, or you had it and you you know got rid of it one day, or what, what do you what what do you gotta have that you don't have? I, I wish I could show you my closet. There's a lot of cameras. In I, that I bet I can only I imagine. Wish you could show us your closet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to spend a lot of time on the road for magazine jobs and I'd always go to the old camera shop in the yeah. small town in Wisconsin or whatever and so I've been through a lot I you know the Linhoff I never used a Linhoff oh, but yeah. there's kind of a glory to that um but I can't I can't say that there's anything I've <laughs> yeah that's pretty <laughs> yeah, sad that's a good that's no, a good that's, no that's good that's the zen Chris and I are looking for in life yeah we're not haunted by anything right now like I scroll on eBay like if I move if I move it if I put on this credit card maybe and I like, take money out of here like it's 
I think I should Not have good. a little garage sale with some of these cameras that I don't need. Oh, anymore. man. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's such a good answer. I'm always so jealous. Anything else, yeah. Chris? I don't know. John, this has been so wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. You, you guys been... are a great duo. It's, it's really it's Thank fun. You. Thanks. <laughs> hey, we appreciate that. <laughs> um, where can everybody check out your work? I know you're on Instagram. Can they pick up the book still? Go ahead and plug yourself here. I'd say, yeah, Instagram seems to be the best uh, way to see things these days. I'm haven't updated my website for a little bit, but um, the book, you know, if you can find it in bookstores, I'd be amazed. I, it's it's really heavy. It's five pounds or something. So uh, wow. Amazon was uh, a, a good thing for people, even though I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into the Amazon-y of yeah. bookstores, <laughs> but the free shipping, I think, was a, a big plus for a lot of people. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I know it's available in England. There's Amazon UK has a few, but uh, oh, cool. yeah. But anyway, it's it's out there, and uh, we'll see if I make another edition. That'd be great. Love it, Timothy. Where are you, guys? You can head over to Instagram and Twitter at Timothy Makeups. Uh, you can also head over to YouTube. There's some older film photography stuff that I did over there. Uh, easiest way to find that is just go to the search bar, type in Timothy Makeups, and that's it for me. Chris, where are you? So I'm Crispy Photo on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and we are Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram and Analog Talk Pod on Twitter. Yay! And- that's it yeah. for us. Thank you, John. Amazing. This has been fantastic. Really fun. Yes, so Thanks good. for having me. Of All course. right. We'll see you in the next one, guys. Bye. Bye. First off, Chris and I would like to thank John for coming on the show. Man, it was so great getting to meet you and to hear your story. Oh, dude, it was just such a great episode. We had such a blast. Thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with us. All right, guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk for only a buck. You can get the show two days early. We also have our Patreon only developing hang nights over there. We have a bunch of stuff in the archives. And like we say, Patreon is the best way to support the show. So again, head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Guys, we're back. We have a bunch of episodes recorded. We can't wait for you to hear. It's great to be back and we'll see you next week with an all new episode. Later.